While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know where for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Hey, well, good morning. I am Joy Gonzalez, and I'm the campus pastor here at Uptown Church, and if I have not gotten a chance to meet you, it's so good to see you. I'm going to echo what Courtney said. We are so glad that you're here, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online or listening to the podcast later. It's so good to be with you and worship. And we are in week two of a sermon series we're calling Grown Up Prayers, and I'm so excited to dive back into this series. It was already so good last week. But most importantly, because what Jesus says about prayer is so radically different than how most of us ever learned to pray or what we were ever told about prayer. In fact, if we take Jesus at his word and we take him seriously when he, it comes to how he tells us to pray, it will change everything in our lives. So Disclaimer, that's your warning. Today, your life might be forever changed, okay? <laughs> you were warned. Um, but before we jump back in, I want to just take a quick moment um, to welcome back Uptown Church's Associate Minister, Elizabeth Mosley, who's been on sabbatical. <laughs> As many of you know, Elizabeth, who helped us launch Uptown Church last year, took a six-month sabbatical for renewal leave, and we are so glad um, to have her back with us after this time of refreshment. Um, if you have not got a chance to meet Elizabeth, today is the perfect day. She'll be in the back. She'd love to meet you. Um, or just please take this opportunity, welcome her back, and let her know you're praying for her. I, I want to also say thank you to Courtney, who's been our interim associate minister. You may not have known, but Courtney has been in the last semester of seminary and also working another full-time job and then still helping at Uptown Church and kicking, yeah, just doing a great job in the last few months. And so we are so grateful, Courtney, for you, and we're grateful she's going to be with us for a few more weeks. So it'll be Elizabeth and Courtney together, and then she's actually gotten offered a really awesome position at one of our other campuses, so you'll get to hear more about that, but we're so grateful. And in all of this, I, I really want to say thank you to this congregation um, and for your patience with us in this season and time. It really takes an entire group of people, not only to live out the call to follow Jesus, but um, to support each other and what that journey means and giving time of space and rest. So thank you for allowing that space and for the sacrifice um, that you've made to make that possible. I'm, I'm really grateful for you this morning. So amen. Well, as we dive into grown-up prayers, I, I want to ask a question I asked last week. I want to see if maybe you've changed your answer. When somebody asks you to pray, um, do you get nervous about that or do you feel okay about that? How many are just like, please, pick me in a crowd, public prayer, that's all me. You're like, this is how they recruit pastors here. Keep my hands down. <laughs> You're right. 
<laughs> no, most of us freeze up when it comes to prayer. Because though a lot of us grew up praying, maybe learning how to pray from religious teachers, our family, Sunday school teachers, whatever, we, we feel like we're doing it wrong. And there's this incredible instance that the disciple Luke, he was a follower of Jesus and part of Jesus' inner circle, he recounts this moment where the disciples realized after following Jesus for quite some time that maybe they weren't praying right, that though they had grown up praying, their prayers didn't seem to grow up with them. And so they muster up enough courage to ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Because how you pray, what you say, what you do, your attitude, your spirit is, is different than how we're approaching prayer. It's something about how you pray isn't like how we pray. So show us how to pray. And I think their concern in prayer is often it can be matched by our concern when it comes to prayer. We're not always so much concerned that we're going to stylistically mess it up, you know, that like the inflection in our voice won't be right. You know, we don't say amen with enough vibrato. But we're more concerned that if we don't get prayer right, God won't answer our prayers because how many of us have experienced that in our lives? We pray for something and not just for like arbitrary things, but like things that do matter. And it seems like we're not always met with answered prayers. So the disciples hold this tension that you and I often hold as to God just teach me how to pray because I don't wanna get it wrong because a lot feels to be on the line if I do. I want my prayers to work. So. They asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And, and Jesus, you got to love Jesus because he's like so many friends of yours that are like, I don't know if I can tell you how to do something, but I can tell you not how not to do something. Jesus starts off, and we talked about this last week, he starts off with what not to do. He says, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, which most of us are like, Praise God, we can get on board with that Jesus guy. Don't be like those hypocrites because they love to put on a show. They love to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. In other words, Jesus is saying when we come to prayer, we're supposed to bring our authentic selves. It's not for show. We don't get points for how good we pray. It's not about what others think about how we pray. It's about a heart-to-heart -heart moment with God. And so Jesus is saying, don't, don't do that. Come, come over here, it's a heart thing. Jesus goes on and then he says this, he gives them another not to. And when you're praying, don't heap up empty phrases like the pagans. Some other translations say, don't go on babbling. How many of you are like, oh man, that's, my, that's me. <laughs> he says, don't babble for they think that God will hear them because of their many words. And I love Jesus' heart in this because one, he's, he's saying, if you don't think you know how to pray or the right, right words to say, it doesn't matter. It's not about the words you say. It's about the fact that you pray. And then he, he hits on this nerve, I think, that causes so many of us to heap up empty phrases or babble to God. He says, don't think that God isn't aware of you or that you're coming to God with some transaction, like you've gotta convince God you're good enough to be answered. He says, don't you know, when you come to God, you're coming to God, your father, the one who knows you, the one who sees you. It's not a transaction. You're not like, hey God, by the way, 
let me just recount. This week, I helped that, um, it, that person cross the street with their groceries. I gave a donation to church. And I thought about, like, mentoring some kids in school. So, like, answer my prayers. He, he's saying we do that. But that's not the position at which God meets us in prayer. God meets us as a loving, caring father who knows us and wants to meet us in prayer. And, and he also hits on the fact that, like, for some of us, hasn't prayer been reduced to just informing God of what's going on? Not just what we need and convincing God why we need it, but also just, hey, here's my to-do list. Are we good? And he says, that's not what prayer is about. And this is where we really get a picture. He starts to tell us, okay, if that's not what prayer is, this is then how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, or that word means holy, is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here Jesus starts to peel back, not just simply how one is to pray, but why we pray. See, the disciples and sometimes us, we're concerned so much with the how again, because if we get the how right, then we get the answers right. But he says, it's not about that. It's truthfully, I want to tell you why you pray. And why you pray is this right here, summed up in this opening statement. God, you are my father. You love me. You know me intimately. You care for me, but you are also holy. You are infinite, yet intimate, but you are infinite. You are the God of all things. I am living in your world, not the other way around. So God, let me start by saying your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus quickly, quickly course corrects the disciples and you and I as well in saying that prayer is not to impose our will on God, but rather to surrender our will to God. Oftentimes we get that reversed when we come to God with our requests and our information that God needs to sign off on. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. If you can trust that God loves you, if you can trust that God created you, that God has a beautiful world that God has created for us to live in, in an image of peace that God created this world for and with, then the purpose of prayer is to surrender our will, not impose it. To say, God, it's it, not my will be done, not not give me what I need, give me what I want, but God, show me what you want for me. And I love this put another way. The purpose of prayer is aligning our wills with God's will. It's getting in line with what God has in mind for our lives and the world around us. But let's be really honest for a minute. This is the point at which prayer begins to break down, not only for the disciples, but it begins to break down for us. Because prayer often, as we've been taught, is to work for us, where we get God to do our bidding rather than saying, God, how do you need me? How am I supposed to do your bidding? 
What is your like will in the world? And here with this, it, we get backwards and why we even exist. And last week we talked about when we come to God in prayer, it recenters us. It recenters us in who we are and whose we are. I um, recently came across an article, and maybe you have too, with um, all of the new satellite images from the James Webb Telescope. Have people, have you been reading those articles this week, seeing the pictures? They're amazing. And with that, several news outlets have put out like past articles of people from NASA who are working on incredible discoveries. And I came across a TED talk from Nagin Cox who works with NASA's Mars rover, um, robots, I guess, rovers. And she gave this incredible talk. And when I listened to it, I was like, oh, that's prayer. See, she works on these. If you haven't seen a rover, there are four of these that have been sent up to Mars to explore the planet, to help us learn about it, and hopefully someday send people to it. But before we can send people, they send these robots. But there are teams of people that, like such as Cox, who give these robots their directions every single day, that give them directives. And so every night when this robot is sleeping or powered down so it can recharge, Nadine and her team, they go to work. So they kind of work the Martian night shift. So during the day, this rover is going, and then at night, her and her team come and collect the data and then put together the, the directions for the rover the next day. But she explains that begins to get difficult because days on Mars are 40 minutes longer than days on Earth. So they have a 24 and approximately 40 minute day where on Earth it's a 24 hour day. So she said, so when her team starts a mission, which is three months, they may start out the first day coming in at 8 a.m., but every day they have to adjust their day 40 minutes to stay on time and stay aligned with the rover. So the rover can work from nine to five. And hang with me here if you're not a big like NASA science nerd like myself. But she says, the first day you're coming in at eight and then the next day, 8.40, then the next day, 9.20. It's like switching a time zone every single day. And pretty soon you're so disoriented into which planet you're even living on. So what they've had to do, what NASA's had to do with these groups of people that work on these rovers is they literally created Mars watches. They literally created their own language to talk about tomorrow and yesterday because they're talking not about Earth time, but they're talking about Mars time. And so she has a watch that runs on Mars time. When her and her team are working on these missions, she said they don't sleep when everyone else in the world sleeps. So they black out all the curtains in their homes and their offices so that they don't know they're on Earth because unless they are acting as if they are living on Mars, they're not doing their job. They're not directing this rover as it should be because they're still connected to Earth. I share all of this because it struck me what an incredible 
comparison to being people of God. The uh, us as Christian people in understanding what it means to align ourselves with God's world and God's way of being. We have a default setting in a sense we live on earth, but heaven is where we're to be aligned. And just like these scientists who have to uproot, upend all of their life to basically not work on Mars time, but literally live on Mars time. It's funny because they call themselves, they're like, we begin to feel like we're Martians living on earth. You know, that would, everyone else is earthlings and we're Martians because we live according to a different way of being. And isn't that what it means for us or a good example of what it means for us to call ourselves Christians. When we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, we're admitting to that there is an earth and there is a heaven, that there are two kind of kingdoms in existence, two ways of being. And by claiming God, your will, your way on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying though we're here, Though we're earthlings, we want to live as if we are living on heaven's time, on your clock, in your way of thinking. And it's this complete shift and reorientation of one's life that is disorienting in this world. And that's what Jesus is saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I really think it is the reason in which Jesus waits for his disciples to ask him, to teach them to pray. Because it, it's so radically different. It's such an upending of everything that they know to embrace God's way of the being rather than the way they were told and raised to live. That Jesus like, I'm gonna wait till y'all ask. Because if I just throw this on you, I don't know if you're ready for it. Yeah, I think Jesus is like, I don't think you can handle the truth of what it really means to pray and follow me. So he waits until they're ready. They're asking, they're hungry. They, they know there's something more, that they were created for something more. And this is what this prayer does for us. It gets us back in line with what we were created for, in line with God's way of being it introduces us not just to a new way of prayer, but a new way of experiencing our world. And Jesus says, this is what that new way of being looks like. He's like, if you're clear that what I'm about to continue on and say is a complete reversal of the way in which you know how life is supposed to be, then let's, let's go on. And so Jesus says this, he continues to teach them to pray. And he says, give us today the part of the prayer you and I usually start with, right? And, and Jesus isn't taking prayer requests at this point. Like, okay, what do you want God to give you? But he says, I want you to pray for three things that he's going to outline. Reliance, release, and refuge. I've kind of put them into three words that have the same alliteration so I can remember them. But the three things he asks us to pray fit into this reliance, release, and refuge. Jesus says, when it comes to this idea of reliance, he says, give us today our daily bread. And we've all heard that, we've prayed that. This is familiar prayer. But how many of us have actually ever prayed for our daily bread? 
The truth of the matter is that you and I, we probably have more than our share of daily bread every single day. We, we, we have more than enough oftentimes in our world. So we don't think always of going to God in this utter reliance of God, I need you just to even eat and survive. But that's what Jesus tells them to pray for. And Jesus' disciples, when they would have first heard this, the two things they would have thought of is one, they would have remembered their ancestors who centuries before were in the wilderness seeking a new place to call home, looking for a land, and literally had to be fed every single day by the miraculous hand of God giving them bread. The disciples would remember, and those in the first audience would remember, oh, that's what he's talking about, that we have to depend on and rely on God for our existence in the world. But then they would have remembered, but we're not in the same place anymore. And you and I are probably like, well, we, we don't need God to literally maybe give us our daily bread. But how many of us have and come up against things in our lives we can't control? Maybe you have actually prayed for literal bread and provision. And maybe you haven't hit a moment in your life where you feel like you are dependent on God. And if God doesn't show up, then you don't know what's gonna happen. And if you haven't been there, there, there's a good shot. We all get there at some point in our lives when we're not sure what to do with the diagnoses, if we'll survive, if we'll make it. When we're not sure if our jobs will stay or if we'll be let go. We like to think we have a measure of control and in a lot of ways it feels like we do. But in this prayer, God reminds the disciples and God reminds us that there are things in our life that happen regularly that are out of our control and how important it is to come to God and remember that we're dependent on and reliant on God for everything that we need. Another thing this would have reminded the disciples is it would have reminded them of the Caesar there in Rome. And, and the Roman Empire, as you probably know from history classes, came in and took over lands, took over peoples, and promised, we will provide for you. If you just abide by the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, if you let us conquer you, we'll take care of you, we promise. That was never ever how it played out for them. Again and again, they were disappointed in their leaders. And how many times do we put our faith and trust, not just in leaders of nations, but in other people, in our jobs, the things that we have, the things that promise us more than they can actually give us. Jesus says there are lots of things that will vie for your allegiance, that will vie for your attention, vie for your love, but none of them, none of them can hold up the promise. We are dependent and reliant on God. So Jesus tells him to live a life according to the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, on heaven's time, not our own we got to recognize our reliance on God, that every day is a gift from God. And then Jesus goes on and he says this, this idea of release. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
Jesus says forgiveness is a part of this economy of God's grace, a part of surrendering to God, to living in God's world the way God made it, is releasing those that have debts against us, those who have wronged us and hurt us. And that's such a hard pill for many of us to swallow because we're like, Jesus, but don't you know what they did to me? And I'm sure if I heard your story, I would probably say, well, this doesn't apply to you. Or at least I would really probably want to. But Jesus is bringing home the truth that is so easy for us to forget. When we refuse to forgive, it's not hurting that person, it's hurting us because we become surrendered to that hurt. We become surrendered to bitterness. They become then a leader in our life because we have to maintain those debts. And when we have to maintain those debts, we are bound to the debt and not bound and allegiant to God. And so he says, you are called to forgive because if you're gonna live a surrendered life, nothing else can claim and vie for your allegiance other than King Jesus. So forgiveness is part of this. And he says, as, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Jesus is reminding us we have been forgiven, that there have been debts that we've had, that people against other people that they have forgiven, that God has forgiven us. And so we are able to do this because God has first done it for us and made a way. One of the things that strikes me about this too is that we most often think interpersonal relationships and Jesus was definitely talking about that dynamic because relationships play such a big role in our lives. And when we have unforgiveness between us and others, we just can't follow Jesus. And so Jesus addresses that. But Jesus' disciples would have also read that and heard debt and debtors and actually thought in economic terms. Most people in that time lived indebted to Rome and felt heavy levels of economic stress due to debt. And so they would have thought monetary indebtedness as well as this interpersonal dynamic. And it's so interesting because Jesus would be speaking to that as well. And I think did, and especially for you and I, that hits home in a different way. Many people in the first century didn't really have a choice as to their indebtedness, but their indebtedness to the empire often caused them to struggle in following Jesus because they literally had masters who mastered their lives because of that debt. Now we don't Economically, many of us live in indentured servanthood, but think about how we live our lives. We indebt ourselves often with how we use our resources. Oftentimes we find ourselves indebted to other masters and lords and surrendered to other things in our lives because of trying to keep up with other people our lifestyle begins to creep into the life God's called us to because we've, we gotta have the latest thing. Or we were told that our worth and our value is found in what we have. How many times have you said, or you've heard a friend say, well, I, I can't really like give to that charity or nonprofit, or I can't really give to church because I, that would just be too much of a sacrifice and I, I don't really have it. 
And then they go out and you're like, that's a nice new pair of shoes or that's a nice car. How many of us with our time, I would love to go and serve and help other people. And I think that's what God wants me to do. That's how I can make the world around me a better place, but I just don't have the time. Do we really not have the time or do we not invest the time? I think Jesus is speaking in this idea. That's why I called it release because that word in Greek for forgiveness is also this idea really of to release, to let go of. It's to ask God to free us from the things that keep us bound, the things that even we bring into our lives that we indebt ourselves to that would keep us from following Jesus and living God's way in the world. Friends, this is the hard part of the Lord's Prayer. This is the part which makes it so radical because it challenges every part of our existence. It is not the fun sermon to preach. Come on. And it's not fun for us to hear. We want to go back to, and we often stop with a, the Father who loves us. And I, I can admit that God is my Father and is good, and God is the Father and Creator of the universe. And that can stop me in my tracks and make me stand in awe. But if we pray the rest of this prayer after our Father in heaven, it stops us in the middle of our dreams. It stops us in the middle of our lives. It stops us in the middle of our relationship and calls into question every choice that we make, everything that we do and ask, is it in alignment with who God is and who God is creating us to be or not? And then we're left with the hard choice of what will we do then? Friends, we're gonna get into the next part next week of refuge or protection because Jesus talks about one other area that trips us up in being surrendered and that is um, temptation. Now that is me supposing you're going to come back next week after this sermon and I hope you do. Because what we see as Jesus continues is that Jesus is showing us why we pray because it introduces us into a world that if we are willing to embrace it, if we're willing to say yes to it, if we're willing to say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even when I don't get it, even when it means I'm gonna have to change my life, the way I think, the way I act, my relationships, if I'm willing to do that, it will open us up to the peace, to love, the joy, the goodness of God like we could never have imagined. And I think for Jesus' disciples, this was hard to hear. But I think they would tell us today, but it was worth it. I think John and Luke and Mary, I think they would say, it was hard to hear, it was hard to pray, it was hard to live. For some of us, it cost us our life, but I would do it again because it opened me up to why I even exist in the first place. So friends, I wanna challenge you today, whose world are you living in? And whose world do you wanna continue in? Your own? Are you willing to say yes, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? I'm gonna pray and we're gonna close together in the Lord's Prayer. And you've actually got a card on your seat that's yours to take home with you. And I invite you this week 
to take home the Lord's Prayer and to pray it and to begin to reflect on each piece of it. Pray sh um, short prayers. Pray, um, uh, pray prayers that, that are not like formal, informal. Address God as Father. Take time to reflect on who God is. And then say, if you are willing and bold enough to your kingdom come, your will be done, and declare your dependence on God. Let's pray through this together. Our Father who art in heaven, holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.